Hello and welcome to the Life Together podcast, where we share in meaningful conversation about living for Christ and loving one another. Thanks for joining today, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Well, hey everyone, today I'm here with Shawnee Wells. Uh, Dan and Shawnee have been here at Lost River for how many years now? For a little bit, we'll say we'll say sixteen years. Sixteen years. Yeah. Okay, so sixteen years, and while I've only been here for three of those sixteen years, um, I can say with confidence, y'all have made a huge impact while y'all have been here. And um, when I think of uh, the two of you, I think of just like so others focused. Um, I think about how uh, y'all are constantly uh, just loving and serving others. Um, and so I know that's made an impact on me and I know many others. And so I'm really grateful that you're, uh, getting to join today. I'm excited for our conversation. Um, so tell us just a little bit about what's going on for the Wells right now. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. And I'm super excited to be here. I've been a big fan of podcasts for, um, many years and I, I've never dreamed about being on one. So this is really just kind of exciting, uh, for me to be here. Um, as far as what's going on with us, there's really not a lot that's exciting. We're just kind of like that stable, <laughs> humdrum, <laughs> um, consistent kind of uh, people. So um, Dan is still working, and I work part-time um, as a nurse. And probably the most exciting thing in my life right now is our three dogs. Oh. Yeah, they keep us busy. <laughs> nice. What what kind of dogs? They're mixes. They're all poodle mixes. One is a schnauzer poodle, one is a she-poo, and one is a poodle poodle. Okay, yeah. cool, cool. Well, I'm I'm a dog lover as well. Um, I have two dogs back home in Texas, um, and uh, they, they are awesome. Um, so I'm actually going to get to see them in a couple days. I'm going home for a friend's wedding, so I'll get to stop by, see family in Houston, and and see my dogs. So I'm sure they'll be excited to see you too. Yeah. Um, well, so today the episode, we're talking about hope. Um, and even from the conversation, just the very brief conversation we had on Sunday, I felt like I walked away from that thinking like, wow, I have a very different perspective on hope after talking to Shawnee. And that was only for like two minutes. So I, I, I know that that's where the conversation's going, but I feel like to get there, we have to start with your story. Um, now, I don't know like uh, all of it, but since I've been here, I've, I've known that there has been some uh, health challenges that you have faced, and from what I understand, that's probably an understatement. Um, there's been a lot of, of hard challenges that you and, and Dan have, have been through together, and so I would love just for you to share as much of that as you want, and then we can kind of move toward uh, your newfound perspective that has been so powerful and transforming, I think, not just for you, but for many others, of uh, hope. Well, I would probably start with, um, yeah, this has been going on for a really long time. Like, I've struggled with my health ever since I was a teenager, following a viral infection uh, that I had, and it was like I just never fully recovered from that. Um, I was homebound for a while. I was unable to go to school. Eventually, we started homeschooling. Uh, there was just such a stark difference between who I was before I got sick 
and who I was after I got sick. Uh, my mom used to say that I never learned how to walk, that I could run, hop, skip, and twirl, but I could never just walk. <laughs> and I think that's a good description of, of how I was kind of as a, as a kid, you know. Um, but it was very different after I got sick. And at the time, there were some members of the church that just really didn't understand. Um, and of course, we were in a, a different uh, state at that time. And it, it was almost like I wasn't allowed to be upset at this huge change in my life. Um, they told me I needed to have more faith. And that, that somehow, and I'm not sure how they expected that to, to fix it all, but um, I remember my parents being upset at that. And they, they told them that my faith is what kept me going, you know, during those difficult times. And that faith, of course, was based on a foundation that my parents helped to, to lay very early on. Their guidance and their teaching and their faith helped guide my own. So to fast forward a little bit, I continued to live at home. I completed uh, an LPN program. I was a licensed practical nurse. Um, and then I moved to Bowling Green in 2006. And it felt so good to start fresh with a, with a group that didn't know my past and I wasn't labeled as sick, you know. Um, and it, it, it was a good fresh start for me. I kept my health issues just as quiet as possible, um, except for Dan. <laughs> um, he did know fully uh, before we got married um, the health struggles that I faced and what I dealt with and everything. So I was transparent <laughs> with him about that. And um, honestly, just by the grace of God and just this very delicate balancing act, I was able to finish my nursing degree at Western. In, in that time, I was doing pretty well, and I picked up uh, long-distance running. Uh, loved, I loved running. Um, and I was one of those crazy people that, you know, actually run for fun. Um, I worked three part-time jobs, and I loved it. I was also teaching Bible class here at Lost River, teaching the kids um, in, in Bible class. And I loved all of it. I mean, things were just going great, seemingly. I mean, there were some, some setbacks here and there, but it was just kind of a, um, a dip for a little bit, and then I could come back up. It was just a balancing act. But then in 2017, that's when things really changed. And that's what I kind of call the, you know, the, a crash. It was like this great crash in 2017. And my symptoms got so much worse. And de I developed new symptoms, too, that I had to learn to negotiate. Um, it, was, it was tough. My mom had to come and live with us for about three months because I couldn't keep up with things around the house. I couldn't drive. And so she was actually, I had to leave two of my jobs and I had to cut down my hours on the third one. And she actually had to drive me to work. There's nothing like being 30 something years old and your mom driving you to work, you know. But, um, but it was great that she was able to come and do that because we really did need help at that time. And, you know, you mentioned Dan. Um, of course, he's, he was along for the ride for this as well and that's been that's been tough you know he's he's really been a trooper in jumping in and helping in the things that I've not been able to complete or finish or need more help with he's very understanding 
um, of when my symptoms don't let me do the things that I want to do. And he's really good to help pick up the slack. Yeah. Um, you mentioned symptoms. Um, and is there like a specific um, title for the, you said it kind of started with a viral infection. Um, and then is that something that they had like a designated name for, like the physician said, this is what you're dealing with? Or was it just kind of a mystery all along the way? They couldn't, you know, put their finger on it. Um, and then whatever it was, how did that affect you? I, it sounds like exhaustion is, is a big part of it. But what were some of the things, especially kind of climaxing in 2017, that were really problematic and difficult for you? There is a name for what I, I have. And I was I was even fortunate as a teenager that the doctor really, um, the doctor that I saw primarily understood what was going on as far as I'd had this virus and now I'm having all these problems. He was really pretty advanced on that. Um, so he, he kind of knew what was going on, but he didn't want to put the diagnosis in my chart because he didn't want me to be labeled because I was so young. So um, we kind of knew what was going on. But um, in 2017, I did a whole another workout <laughs> or work up of, um, of everything. And they, they confirmed um, the diagnosis. It's called myalgic encephalomyelitis. Um, or sometimes it's abbreviated ME slash CFS. It's really a terrible name for, <laughs> for what it is. It's not very uh, descriptive. Um, some, some of the agencies would prefer to call it systemic exertion intolerance disease, uh, but that name never really caught on. So um, basically after the virus um, invaded my body, it caused some uh, systemic damage they just never quite healed. So yeah, as far as symptoms um, go, for me specifically, um, the fatigue, and <laughs> fatigue is such a cute little word that um, this is not like being fatigued after mowing your yard. This is this is like a bone-crushing exhaustion to the point where there were times I couldn't hold my head up. Um, I couldn't lift the fork from my plate to my mouth because I was just so tired and my arms felt they were so heavy and my legs feel like they're um, filled with concrete. Um, I couldn't stand in the shower, you know, had to get a shower chair and uh, things like that that really, um, (laughs) when you don't have the energy to do things, it really uh, limits what you can do. Yeah, wow. So going back to kind of your growing up years or I, I'm sorry if I don't get the timeline exactly right, but when you were living in another state and you were with this uh, other congregation, you're dealing with those symptoms, but nobody sees that. Like from their perspective, they don't see what home is like for you and how that has been some of the symptoms that you've dealt with. And so they begin to make assumptions about what you're dealing with and the level of, I don't know, validity you have for, I don't know. I'm just trying to get at like, what was, what was that like? What was, I'm trying to maybe step into their shoes and just see like, what was it like from their perspective? Why did they, why did they maybe, um, I guess have the perspective they did about 
the health challenges that you were facing and why it was maybe lacking in in compassion. And I know we can't like read people's minds or anything, but I, I think that's just so important when we think about how to how to minister to people, how to love people. Um, and I, I, I don't want to be the, the person who is just making assumptions about what others are going through, because I imagine that, um, I don't know, just knowing you and your personality that, you know, you, you, uh, not in a fake way or in, in a disingenuine way, but, you know, by everything you can do, you're going to be positive because that's who you are. So you're not going to let some illness hold you back. So, and I imagine that that may have been hard for people to reconcile, but I don't know. I'm kind of talking around it at this point, but I don't, I would like to just kind of zoom in on that moment just for a little bit and talk through what that was like having, having people not understand the challenges that you were going through. Well, and I think that's that's where the pain of it comes into is that they didn't understand and maybe they didn't try hard enough to understand. And I think, and I can't speak for, for them, I don't want to put words into anybody's mouth, but I do think that a lot of times it's the struggle that it's chronic. Um, it's not going away. And I was a teenager, you know, I had been you know, bright and vibrant, and now I'm merely a shadow of who I was before. And they didn't understand that I couldn't snap out of it. You know, it's almost like, okay, well, you were you were sick for a while and, you know, hadn't been able to attend church or very rarely or, you know, something like that for a while. And then they're like, okay, so you should be getting better now, right? And it's like chronic, <laughs> you know, like chronic, it doesn't just go away. I can't snap out of it any more than you can suddenly make a broken leg unbroke. You know, you can't reverse that. So I think some of it was they got tired, maybe, of me being sick. And it's like, I'm so sorry that you're tired of it. <laughs> I'm tired too. <laughs> I'm tired of it too. <laughs> um, so, so at some point, maybe even the encouragement that people gave was hard. Like I remember you shared something about how people would say, you know, hope you get better soon. What was it like hearing even some of the people who like tried to be understanding and encouraging? And I'm sure you took that as understanding. Okay. I know they're trying. I know they're trying and that's good. But what was it like hearing some of these uh, attempts at like positive encouragement, but it's like, he's still not, understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, we, we do that a lot because we don't know what to say to someone who has a chronic uh, condition that's not expected to really get better, but we want better for them, right? So I think a lot of times we're tempted to say, well, I hope you feel better soon. You know, I, I, and I, I get that. Like you said, I understand they're, where they're coming from and they're trying to be positive and they really do wish that I will be better soon. Um, and I and I do take it as good intentions uh, from people, but I think they're missing the the bigger picture of. But I may not. In fact, I probably won't feel better soon. So I think sometimes it's more encouraging to say things like, "I hope you have the best day available to you," or "I hope you have a low symptom day." 
you know, to somebody who has to face these things every day, day in and day out, you know, a chronic illness is unrelenting most of the time. That's why it's chronic, right? So I think it's trying to understand um, from that person's perspective of what it must be like to wake up with this every day. So instead of just our general um, platitudes that we'll offer, like what you would find in a Hallmark card, um, something a, a little bit more specific of, you know, um, I hope you have the best day that you can, or I hope this next week goes smoothly for you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I can, I can see where that would feel like the person writing or saying this to you has a little bit better understanding. Like, um, it, it sounds like that gets at the, Hey, I, I don't get it all, but like I see you and I, I, I'm trying to understand where you're coming from. And, um, so that's, that's really good. So, so you moved to Lost River and even then it sounds like you were understandably reluctant to share and open up about it here because at least in part the experience you had at another congregation so what was that like um well it was at first it was refreshing just because i I felt like i wasn't labeled as a sick person and so that was kind of a breath of fresh air for me but after my crash in 2017 i could no longer hide I, I really couldn't. I, um, if I w- was going to get out to church or to go to a grocery store, I was in a wheelchair and somebody had to push me because at that time I had lost uh, so much muscle strength um, and I had muscle weakness that I couldn't couldn't walk into the auditorium um, without completely doing myself in. And I mean, there were even times where I would try to get ready to go to church, and it would take the very last of my energy to get dressed to go to church, and then I couldn't. And so Dan would help me undress and get me back in bed because that was all that I could. But I tried, you know. But that's I got to that point where it's like I can't hide this anymore. And at least it was getting harder and harder to hide. And Paul Cook actually encouraged me to share my struggles with the family here at Lost River. And he said, I think you'll be surprised at how much support you'll receive. And Paul Cook was right, but don't tell him I said that, but he he was right. And I was overwhelmed with the amount of support and encouragement that I received from my family here. I, I was hesitant, I was reluctant, But ultimately, I took his advice, and I've been very blessed from that. People offered understanding in a way that hadn't been shown to me before. They offered patience because there'd be times I would try to schedule to see, you know, do something with somebody or to be somewhere. And at the last minute, I have to, I can't, I'm sorry, you know, my symptoms have flared up. and I'm not going to be able to go. And people have been so patient about things like that. Um... I've had so many offers for people to come and help me with things at the house, whether it's cleaning or even like going and getting my groceries. I haven't been able to, to go grocery shopping in years. So Dan, that was something Dan had picked up 
probably about 10 years ago and had been doing that ever since and now I'm trying to you know yay for Kroger pick you know click list and you know go pick up your groceries it's it, that's been great for me to be able to feel like I can contribute to my family again that way um, by using something like that but I can't go to the grocery store anymore so it's it's been great to have that kind of support that people recognize that those are the, the areas in which I'm struggling and they're not just like but let me know if I can do something to help. You know, it's like, hey, when can I come over and scrub your toilets? Okay, that is love. That is love. And I have had people from this family say, what day this week can I come scrub your toilets? I mean, (laughs) I don't want anybody to scrub my toilets. Like, I'm going to scrub my toilets, you know. I, um, and I want to. And I think that's where a big struggle comes with chronic illness. It's not that I want anybody to... Um, go grocery shopping for me or I don't want to clean my house I would so much rather do those things myself but I'm limited in my resources and that's where my family has kicked in and has definitely jumped in you know two feet first to say hey we're we're going to help you you're not alone in this and that kind of support is incredible absolutely incredible so I would like to encourage anybody who's listening to our conversation today, if, if, if you're struggling with a, a silent battle, it's something that you've been keeping to yourself and you're like, I'm going to handle this. I don't want anybody to know. I'm afraid what people might say. If you're struggling with that, I would love to encourage you to consider uh, sharing with our Lost River family. Having good support is crucial, especially when it comes to something like a chronic illness, something that is day in, day out, and unrelenting. You've got to have that support system to help keep you afloat. And um, you may be surprised at who pops up. And I got support from from people I really didn't even expect um, that were like, they got it, just like that. They got it, and they were in my life. And you've got to find the people who are your tribe. You know, get that core group of people that you can be real with mm-hmm. about what that day-to-day is. And that kind of uh, support is just so important when yeah. you're dealing with something like this. Yeah, absolutely. Well, from the short time I've been here at Lost River, I I have to say it's like not surprising that that's the response you got from people. But at the same time, like we should never, that should never go like underappreciated. And I can see just as you're talking and in, uh, it's almost like, it's almost like it looks like uh, memories are like popping through your mind as you (laughs) share this, like specific people, specific moments. And, um, and it's just so awesome. Like I see how like that seems like it's been such a shot in the arm, like where you're just, it, it, it brings you life. It's not just that they're doing a service. They're giving you a newfound like energy to, to keep going. Absolutely. When they can, you know, remove some of those things off of my plate, I can use my resources for other things. And that's, that's really a wonderful gift. But I will say that it is very hard to accept help. Um, and I have been very stubborn about that at times. And, and, and I'm not bragging about that. That's really to my shame because 
I have stolen opportunities for other people to serve in the kingdom. When I don't allow people to help that have offered, especially those that are like, hey, I can come and do this for you, and I turn them down, I'm kind of robbing them an opportunity to serve in the kingdom. And I've struggled with that off and on through the years. I still don't like to accept that kind of help uh, sometimes, but I'm getting better at it, getting better at it. Um, But I think one day it just really clicked with me when I realized that even Jesus needed help carrying his cross Mm. to Calvary. Wow. And if he can accept help carrying his cross, if the Son of God accepted help carrying his cross to Calvary, I can let somebody come clean my kitchen. Wow. Uh, That gave me chills. I've never thought about that moment, how Jesus himself, and, and, and then it makes me think, even in the garden, he was, he, that's what he was seeking. He was mm-hmm. seeking somebody to just, anyone be by my side. You don't know what to say. I'm just asking you to stay awake with mm-hmm. me. Like, oh, and then the cross, yeah. Um, wow, that's beautiful. Um, it, it does, it raises a question in my mind. Maybe there's someone listening and they're going through something. Maybe it's, a health crisis, maybe it's something else. Maybe life is just busy. They feel overwhelmed. Could be anything. But there's this voice maybe in the back of their mind that is saying, well, you know, Shawnee had some, it was a chronic illness. So of course, of course that makes sense to share that. But like what I'm going through is just not that big of a deal. And so I don't, I feel like unjustified in sharing this. I feel like I should be serving others and it shouldn't be that I voice these things. And so I'm just going to stay in the background because I don't want to share something when other people have more serious issues that they're working through. You know, what would you say to someone who is kind of in that position? I think I would say that life has its seasons and the seasons change and you might be going through a season right now in which you need a little bit more help and just because somebody has it worse off than you doesn't mean that your struggles are invalid or not as important Um, everybody has their own sack of rocks we got to carry and you know we can help each other carry those so even and i've had people tell me that too well well you know there are some people that have it worse than you do and it's like, that's, that's true. That's very true. It is not difficult to look around and find somebody that has it worse off. And that can be important in recognizing what blessings are in front of us that we may be overlooking. But I think statements like that can invalidate the person you're looking at. You know, I think we need to validate the struggles that they're currently going through. Bec- comparing our struggles does nobody any good. It doesn't, doesn't help anybody. Right. You know, comparing your struggles to mine doesn't make mine any less, and it doesn't make yours any worse, and it doesn't, you know, it's just not helpful to compare struggles. So I, I would say don't quit comparing. Quit looking around. If you're going through something, that's just your season right now, and let's reach out and, and find some help for that. Yeah, yeah. I know that is, from what I understand, that's a, that's a big problem within – like the mental health sphere where a lot of times maybe life circumstances are by comparison relatively normal, maybe even great. But um, I saw like these pictures of like different brain scans of like normal brain and then anxiety, depression, trauma, all these different things. 
And just because the outward circumstances of a person's life seem okay, even by their own estimation, um, there are things that they're battling internally that uh, truly are uh, immensely difficult. Um, And so, yeah, I think it's important that we not compare circumstances and, and it leads to kind of one other thing in that same vein um, and this might be like a dumb question, but what, you know, what is it like when someone shares those things with you? Like, you know, Shawnee, hey, this is what I'm going through, and I feel uh, just overwhelmed by this new challenge as I've entered this new phase of life, or I'm dealing with my own health issues. Um, what is that like from from your perspective hearing friends or other people come and share their own burdens with you? Well, I think the important thing is to recognize, one, that they were comfortable sharing that with you. Like, that's that's really quite the honor that they're willing to share this. So uh, if they trust you enough to tell you about this, you better be listening, you know, and really try to, to imagine what this feels like from their perspective. Put yourself in their shoes and and go, wow, you know, I can see that this is really bothering you. I can see this has been really heavy for you. And sometimes I don't get to help with um, the practical ways that you can help people. And we'll probably talk more about that in a little bit. But something I can always do is pray for them. And it's easy to say, well, I'll pray for that for you. And I don't mean that as a, a platitude, but I like to ask them, what do you want me to pray for about this? And I love people's responses to that because it gives you quite the insight as to what they're going through. You know, maybe they need peace. Maybe they need wisdom. Maybe they're praying for a specific outcome. And I can help with that. You know, so if if they are willing to trust you with what they are going through right now, just be attentive, listen to what they're saying, and then find a way to help them. It could be more practical than that. I say practical is, you know, like a hands-on way of trying to to help them through something. But but we can all step in and pray. And there is such a peace from that. There's such a peace from that. There's, um, well, this summer, you know, I had an appointment, a a doctor's appointment that I felt like was very important um, on this journey. And and so I asked for prayers for that. And I had so many people reach out to me. And I know there were so many more that didn't, that were still praying for me. And when I went down to Vanderbilt the day of that appointment, I was at peace. I felt ready. And I think that was a result of all my brothers and sisters that had taken time to fast and pray uh, on my behalf. And that's very humbling, but it's very um, peace bringing too. Yeah. Well, I hear two things in that. One is um, part of bearing one another's burdens, part of being there for one another is praying. And I like how you specifically said like asking them what, not just saying, I'm praying for you, but hey, what what can I pray for you? Um, I think that's so good. And then uh, the practical, like, 
um, how people would just say, when can I come and do this for you? So, so it reminds me of like uh, in, in James uh, talks about, you know, the one who prays and then says, you know, go be warm, be filled, uh, but then doesn't do anything about it. You know, um, it's like sometimes we do that with our praying and with our actions. It's like, you know, I'm praying for you. Um, and then, hey, let me know if I can do anything versus how can I pray for you? And when can I come and help? Like, I, I, here's my availability. Let me know. You know, I, I think that's so helpful. Um, and and, uh, and, and opens us up to the opportunity. I feel like it probably makes it easier for the person to say yes, for the person mm-hmm, to open does. up and confirm, yes, come and, and do this. Yeah, it definitely does, at least from my perspective. Um, I, it's not that I think that other offers were uh, not genuine, because I think that they probably were, but it's a lot harder for me to verbalize um, and ask for something specific. But when somebody has offered something specific and um, just wants to know when they can come and do it, it's a lot easier to say yes to something like that and to accept that help. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes sense. Um, so let's let's pivot just a little bit here. So um, we talked about different ways that people have here at Lost River have been a support and encouragement to you through all the highs and lows of, of this journey. Um, uh, how have you stayed so positive and encouraging to <laughs> others through all of this? You know, you've had a lot of people help you, but I mean, I feel like you and Dan together have helped serve so many people. And what is the thing that keeps you going. I mean, I feel like you're the, it's so ironic to me, like truly, it's so ironic to me that you have a kind of like uh, fatigue syndrome. Um, I don't remember the, the name That's of it. Fine. So, but that like you, you have this uh, battles with fatigue and yet you are like the energizer bunny. It's like, it makes like, it's amazing. I don't feel like it. Yeah. I, I, well, I know that's what's crazy. It's amazing that like you still serve with so much energy and joy. I'm like, I, you know, uh, I don't know if the Lord was like, you know what? That's too, like Shawnee would serve too many people. She would be doing too much in the kingdom if, if we had this all the way up, you know, like, so how do you do that? What keeps you going? Well, I think... that's a really good question. And I I think really part of it is this hope that, you know, we were talking about. I did have somebody tell me one time when I was trying to explain, it was a um, a healthcare professional and I was trying to explain all my issues and the problems with like the fatigue and things. And, and she said, Oh, you have energy. And I, and I thought, Oh, here we go. She's just going to tell me I need to, you know, exercise more or, you know, whatever. The one thing they can't tell me is to lose weight. I'm really glad about that. But, um, but I, I thought, oh, great. Here's what she's going to tell me. And she said, your spirit has energy for days. <laughs> well, I guess that's one way to look at it. She, she could see that, that energy that comes from within. That's not my body energy that runs out so quickly. You know, um, so I always appreciated that she could that she recognized that, and I I kind of assume that's what you're what you're seeing too is probably that spirit energy that is part of who I am, mm-hmm. um, and and I think probably 
because God made me that way, I'm just not one to give up. Like, I will always look for what I can do. Yeah. What can I do with what I have? Yeah. Um, my daddy always said that opportunity is a knowledge plus ability. So if, if there was something you could have helped with, but you didn't know about it, then you didn't truly have an opportunity. Or if you know about it, but there's no way you can help, then again, you don't really have the opportunity. But if you know what's going on and you have an, a way to help, then you have an opportunity to serve someone else. And, um, you know, with my condition, a lot of times I run out of resources before I run out of desire to do something. So it, it's, and I don't want to want you to, to have um, a warped view either just because I have my days. Right. This has been hard. This has been challenging. And especially my core group of people, they know, they know when I'm having um, a hard time and that I'm down and I'm frustrated. And that's usually what it is. I'm frustrated. And I think it's that, um, that challenge of the spirit versus the body, uh, what the spirit wants to do and the body says no, um, that creates a frustration within me that I have to reconcile. And when I look over the course of the years of the different things that I've lost, I have, I have, anytime somebody has a loss of health, there will be subsequent losses, right? So, especially starting in 2017, when I crashed, I started losing more things. I started, um, I started losing my hobbies, for one thing. I can't run anymore. I can't do long distance running anymore. I love being outside. I love to kayak. And occasionally I can still do that. If somebody helps me get my boat into the water, then I can just float around and sit in my boat. I love it. Um, but I would be doing that a whole lot more if I could, you know, um, walking my dogs. I love my, I love my dogs. I love walking them, but I can't do that every day anymore. (laughs) Not even close to once a month. (laughs) Like I I can't really do that. Uh, my yard, I love working in my yard. Um, flowers, small garden. I love, um, cutting the grass and doing the trimming. I can't, none of that is up to my standards anymore and I'm requiring more and more help to get those tasks done Mm -hmm. so you know you start looking at things like that you look at things like career wise you know I was thrilled to get my nursing degree from Western and you even think hey this is good this this is something a profession where I can help people who are sick like that's fantastic right it's a way I can serve others and yet I can't do that in the capacity that I would like to anymore. So I've lost career goals of being certified in critical care. I loved critical care nursing, but I can't um, work those shifts anymore. You know, I wanted to start teaching um, at Western. I wanted to, um, achieve some advanced degrees too. Um, and all of those plans are just gone. You know, and that's something, that's a loss that you have to come to terms with. Um, socially, I believe it or not, I lost friends. They, there were people that just didn't understand how to handle a friend 
with chronic health issues. You know, and I can't go out and hang at the last minute most of the time. I certainly can't do it in the evenings, which is when most normal people socialize. So, um, so I lost out on seeing my friends and some of them disappeared entirely. Um, I've missed weddings and funerals. And those are things you don't get to repeat. You know, you don't get a do-over on those kind of things. Um, so that's, that's been hard. But I think the hardest loss is losing the opportunity to serve. Um, teaching Bible class. I haven't been able to do that with the littles. And fixing meals for other people is hard when I'm having a hard time fixing meals for us at home, you know? Um, I, taking people to appointments, especially as a, as a nurse, I would love to, to take people to appointments. I can be a second set of ears for him, uh, for people that had a hard time getting out. And I'm not really able to do that anymore. So uh, this is where I started bargaining with God. And it's like, God, if you make me better, then look at all these things that I can do. And that's, but so far his answer has been no or not yet. And, and that's really hard to accept. But I have hope. And that's really, that's really what keeps me going, is that hope. But let's talk about that for a minute, because what hope is not. Let's talk what hope is not. It is not an ephemeral wish that's made out of wispy, silky threads and dandelion fluff that's just going to disintegrate at the first sign of a light breeze. Okay, it's not a wish. Um, And we use hope as the word wish a lot of times in our language. And that's why I want to clarify it. We'll say, hey, I hope you have a great vacation. Hope you have a great trip to Texas. You know, and we mean that. And we mean that as, you know, good intentions that we would like for this to happen. Um, and And I think that that's fine. There's nothing wrong in saying that. But I just want to clarify that's not not what I'm talking about. If I could personify hope, <laughs> you're grinning because I think I, you know I what I'm going to say. I love this. If I could personify hope, I would say that she has dirt on her face, blood on her knuckles, she's got the grit of the ground in her hair, and she just spat out a tooth as she rises to go another round. Hope is tough. And hope does not give up. So that's, if I were to personify, I know that's kind of, and that's not all entirely original with me. I don't want people to credit me with that idea. But um, if I were to personify hope, that's what she looks like to me. Yeah, I think that's so, so powerful. And I think sometimes even in our encouragement to others, we use hope in sort of that wishful whimsical way you know hope you get to feel better soon hope you have a good day you know and uh, again I don't think you're saying there's necessarily anything wrong with using the word in that way but we just need to understand that in the bible the word hope is much much different yes and I know that uh, I mean I love the 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 uh personification of hope that you gave there I mean I just think (laughs) I mean one that's just super cool but also that's so just real and um, in, in raw. Um, but, uh, you know, 
the Hebrew writer, he uses a bit different analogy. You know, I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit as well. I know uh, you talked about on Sunday this anchor for the soul. Well, I think that's where I like to start. When you think about in the Bible, what the Bible says so much about hope. But I, I love to start in the passage in Hebrews chapter 6, where it says that um, it's an anchor of our soul. We're encouraged to hold fast to this hope that's before us, that it is a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. So think about an anchor for a minute, because it's it's made of this thick, strong iron, right? It's, it's not going to give or bend, but it sits in the cold dark, deep waters at the bottom of the sea, in the mud, in the muck, tangled in seaweed, with, you know, unspeakable creatures circling around it. But that is where hope actually does its work. This is where hope is the strongest, is in the deep, dark, cold water. That's when hope is, is its strongest. There's a, there's a quote by Charles uh, Spurgeon that says, The more the wind rages, the more you feel that the anchor holds you. And I think we understand that to be true. But why? Why, why is that true? And I think we have to think, what is the anchor actually tethering us to? And from my experience and in my um, growth that I've come to understand in this, I feel like that hope is anchoring me to an eternal perspective, right? Um, I think about Lamentations 3, um, how the writer there who's assumed to be Jeremiah, um, he talks about how he has seen affliction. He states that his flesh wastes away. Oh, that sounds familiar. You know, raise your hand if you've experienced that. You know, people that have that chronic health problems and that chronic loss, they feel like your flesh just isn't keeping up anymore. He was filled with bitterness, and he said his soul was bereft of peace. That is such raw pain and emotion in response to his circumstances. But then he says, he calls to mind and has hope that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. This, the anchor that kept him steady in the winds of affliction and the waves of the pain and bitterness was the eternal perspective of God's faithfulness and love. Yeah, uh, it's, it's such a beautiful passage, and I love how like it continues there, like morning by morning, new mercies I see. Yes. And sometimes... I've heard people use that as, they don't mean it in a discouraging way, but I I think sometimes people rush to to say, well, you just need to find the good in the situation. You know, you just need to find the new morning (laughs) mercies, you know. But if you read what is surrounding this, the, the depth of emotion that Jeremiah is feeling there, it's like, I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing that he can emerge from that still with this with this hope mm-hmm. that okay every morning the the lord's mercies are there yes. and my soul is anchored to the faithful love of god and right now 
yeah, it looks like that uh, dark, damp, muddy, murky, you know, depth of the ocean that it, I'm just being drugged along, but but this hope isn't going anywhere. And and I love that the image of that anchor. I've kind of thought about it like how um, just because a ship is anchored doesn't mean that it doesn't feel the winds and the waves exactly. rocking it around. And it doesn't get flooded at times with the waters, you know, bumping up and flowing over the sides, you know, and it, it's, it's moving back and forth and there's the lightning and the storm. It's scary. It's not, it's, you know, people use this image of the anchor as kind of like, I, I don't know, the same way that we think of as hope, as wishful thinking. It's just like this nice, you know, refrigerator magnet or bumper sticker, but this anchor for the soul, it's right tethered to the bottom of the ocean. And then that ship is just being rocked all around. But it's like, okay, through that, through that, it's not going anywhere. Like it feels all of it and it's a real experience. And True Hope doesn't deny that. Like it's not suppressing the the sorrow and the fear and all of that that comes with it. It's accepting it and embracing it and acknowledging it, but knowing that as long as my anchor is in the steadfast love of the Lord, um, my my ship's not going to come apart. Right, right. That's exactly right. And I think, too, of Paul and what he said in Second Corinthians 4, uh, that we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Um, he, he talks about it being a light, momentary affliction. Yeah. And it's like nothing Paul went through was light. <laughs> you know, he went through all the heavy, hard stuff. And he says, this is a light, momentary affliction. Yeah, literal shipwrecks. <laughs> yes, literal <laughs> shipwrecks. Um, but he says it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. He said, don't look at the things that you can see, those waves, um, the lightning, the storm, look for the things that are unseen because those things that are unseen are eternal. And that's what we need to be focused on. Um, Again, in in Romans, he says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I want to, to kind of interject here that we can use comfort as an idol. Um, we are surrounded by comfort. We have more creature comforts than at any time in human history. And that's not a bad thing, I don't think, um, in and of itself. I, for one, am very thankful to have air conditioning when the heat index is 109, right? So, I mean, they can be really good things for us to have and blessings to enjoy from the Lord. Um, but nowhere in the Bible did God promise us a comfortable life. And we can allow comfort to become an idol, and we seek comfort more than we seek growth. Um, but he has promised that in our discomfort, we can have a peace in our spirit. Um, and I think that's because of that hope that's, that anchors us, that in that storm, we can still have that peace because we're attached to that anchor. We're holding fast to that. Um, sometimes discomfort becomes a companion to this life, but it won't be in the next, right? So that's my anchor, 
that sure that things are hard and uncomfortable right now and that I may have to accept that this is part of this life but I hold on to that anchor that it won't be in the next yeah wow that's so powerful um yeah I love how Paul puts it there the light momentary affliction some versions say will prepare us for an eternal weight or really the the word gets it's it's better to say produce it's as if the affliction at least from Paul's perspective the suffering the sorrow that we face in this life is somehow in a way that's often uh, not evident, not immediately apparent to us, is preparing, producing an eternal weight of glory. It's as if our, I like how you put it, our our discomfort, our sorrows, our pains, our challenges can actually be like a companion that produces in us uh, or that will produce one day something beautiful beyond our wildest imagination that sorrow really will turn into joy um yeah yeah yeah. and i think paul talks more specifically about that in romans 5 when he talks about we can rejoice in our sufferings because our suffering produces endurance and it will if you go down the line of all those things it will produce hope and hope what did he did he say hope does not put us to shame. Hope is not going to disappoint us. Not the true hope that we anchor our souls to. It will not disappoint because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And he talks about in Romans 15 about uh, the God of hope. Oh, the God of what? The God of hope. He's going to fill us with joy and peace uh, by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we may abound in hope it's it's not a little trickle it's not a cute refrigerator magnet it's not that wispy you know ephemeral thing that's going to you know blow away in the wind we are going to abound god desires us to abound in hope and this is where i start seeing like (laughs) my little um, poetic description of hope and you know being tough and everything you you really start to see that in the scriptures because it's actually part of our armor. It's part of of what we use to fight our battles in this life. Um, In Psalm 71, the author says, I take refuge in you. Um, Incline your ear to me, save me. Be to me a rock of refuge to which I may continually come right? Uh, You are my rock and my fortress. And then down in verse 14, it says, but I will hope continually and I will praise you yet more and more. That's that abounding in, in that, um, in that hope. Um, Psalm 33 says the king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his strength. And a war horse is a false hope for salvation. The eye of the Lord is on those who hope in his steadfast love. That's the power of the battle right there. 
And again, in the New Testament, in First Thessalonians 5, we, we, when we talk about the armor of God, most of the time we refer to the Ephesians um, rendition of that. But in First Thessalonians 5, he talks about putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. And so even though my little poetic personification isn't exactly found in the Bible, I think the elements are there because that hope is what we need, uh, that hope in salvation, that hope in the steadfast love of the Lord, that anchor is what gets us through the spiritual battles in this life. Yeah, I, I like how you described it as if there's more than one thing that our hope is like anchored to. Like you talked about one being the steadfast love of the Lord um, and how that is an Im- immovable, uh, you know, ground to which our hope is anchored. Um, but then it's so cool because it's like the Lord has given us not just one place to anchor our hope, but more than one. Like, could you imagine, you know, like a, a ship is going to be more stable the more anchors it has in the ground. And I might not, I mean, I don't know about, like, I'm not a, um, I'm, I'm not in the Navy or anything like that. So I might be like not articulating this analogy well, but I can imagine that. And it's like, as you're describing, like, okay, you've got it anchored within the steadfast love of the Lord. Um, and then you didn't directly say this, but like what I've heard in your story is anchored within a community, anchored within the people of God, um, and then anchored in the hope of salvation, um, sort of that ultimate hope that that one day the storm will pass and things will be made new and it truly will be not just okay, but made beautiful. Yes, um, absolutely. So. And I think it's that overarching eternal perspective. Yeah, yeah. That if I look at this life from an eternal perspective in that anchor of hope, it does make these things that light momentary affliction because I can see forward um, because God has given us that window to look into, to see forward to that eternal weight of glory. Well, now I definitely have a better sense of where all the energy <laughs> and joy comes from. Um, I just got to remember that uh, behind the joyful, excited, energetic look that Shawnee has on her face <laughs> is the the uh, the girl who just spit out the tooth, mm-hmm. hope ready to fight again. You um, believe it. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, well, uh, I know. Um, I hope I didn't like caricature the. Uh, the the joy or the you know the energizer bunny analogy I, I hope I didn't just like caricature that because I know I, I know that you've described and articulated the hardships the losses um, and I definitely don't want to downplay that at all and uh, but it's amazing to hear you describe uh, the hope that you have through it and when you talk about it it, it just seems as if, um, uh, I don't know, I can see your, your passion behind it, um, and it's so real to you. Um, people often talk about this anchor for the soul that we have, but maybe there's something so true about 
how real hope becomes when hope is all you have. Right. And that's what I hear from from your story. Yes. So. Yeah. Um, I think I would just like to add just one more thought about hope, and that would be that it has an expiration date. And we've kind of alluded to that a little bit already. But in, in Romans 8, Paul talks about um, how we groan <laughs> inwardly and we wait eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. In this hope, we were saved. Um, and what we see, hope that is seen is not hope, right? Who hopes for what he sees? Um, but if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's easier said than done, but, um, but it's true. And then in, in 1 Corinthians 13, um, he talks about, we think of that as the, the chapter on love, right? Uh, and he says, faith, hope, and love abide, but the greatest of these is love. Why is love considered the greatest there? Well, it's because faith will become sight one day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and hope will be fulfilled, but love will go on for eternity, right? So for, for right now, we hold on to the hope of salvation and our hope in the steadfast love of God. But one day that hope will be fulfilled and we will no longer need that anchor because there will not be the winds of affliction and the waves of pain. We will have the redemption of our bodies and the salvation of our souls. So do I want to get better now? (laughs) Yes, please. Um, And I very much appreciate everyone who has been praying and continues to pray that I will receive healing in this life. Because I would love that. All of those losses that we talked about, I would gladly pick those back up again, and then some. Um, But I do realize that God may not choose to heal my mortal body. But I do hope I anchor for the day when he will rid me of this cage. And then I can have an eternity of the running, skipping, hopping, and twirling, but all for his glory. Yeah, that is so beautiful. Yeah. Um, Well, Shawnee, thank you so much for sharing your story today. I know you've shared it with many people here at Lost River, but I guess as someone who's a bit of a latecomer, only being here three years, um, this means so much for me to hear. And uh, like I said, you and Dan have been such an encouragement. And I'll just also say, I think the way that Dan loves and serves you is such an inspiration to me. Um, And what you both do together in the kingdom is such a beautiful thing. Um, So I will uh, uh, always have the image. I will never read hope the same way. I can confidently (laughs) say I will never see the word hope in the same way. So thank you for that. Well, thank you for your kind words, and thank you for having me on the show. It's been great.